Hey everybody, my name is Drew Baker and welcome to The Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, and other interesting guests at my kitchen table. On today's episode, I interview David Barboza, a Maryland native and James Beard nominated chef. David is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America in New York and has cooked in top-notch restaurants all over the country. Also, full disclosure, David recently joined the team at Old Westminster Winery and will be spearheading our new outdoor restaurant concept called Eat Pizza Together, which is a project dedicated to great food, supporting local farmers, and nourishing our community. Okay, table set. David Barboza is in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, Drew. I'm excited to be here, excited to join the team next week. I definitely have like, you know, I guess like first night jitters. Granted, this is, you know, a little bit before that, but I'm, I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I feel like electric and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to be here. Amazing. Well, your energy is palpable and uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show this evening. So I thought it would be cool, um, you know, to kind of get started um, both for me and for anyone who's listening to this to kind of like rewind the tape a little bit and like just hear from you. Um, who is David Barboza? Like, what's your story? Where are you from? Like, kind of give us the give us the origin story as much as or as little as as you want people to know. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a that's a big question because you know we all have tremendous lives and tend to forget things. And you start looking back and you go, oh yeah, there was this and this and this. Well, anyhow, um, I was born in what, Howard County General Hospital um, and grew up in. Severna Park, like Glen Burnie area, young in a cul-de-sac, um, middle child, small family, um, not really a lot of relatives around. So it was just this core unit of us. And we had other family groups that we would spend time with, like with going to church and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the start was in actually Millersville, um, Goodness, I don't know where to go. Um, <laughs> and you're not going to take anything out. Um, but, um, okay, so when I was 10, um, or about 9, actually, um, it was actually right after 9-11, um, it was in October, uh, we moved out to Westminster. Um, and that's kind of where my parents have rooted down for a while. And where we were, where I was, at least until I went to college, and from there, um, moved to Hyde Park, obviously, and was going to the CIA. Um, and that's kind of when my career in food really started to like kind of grow and expand like in front of me it wasn't my first experience I my first job was Roy Rogers um on 140 in Westminster um and they had me cashier they had me you know do stuff because you can't cook or like use a knife until you're 16 I was 15 um and all I, all I wanted to do is cook I grew up cooking with my parents um, my mom was a server, um, in a, in a diner. Um, and my dad works as a salesman, um, at a rescue tool company in Glen Burnie. Um, and so my mom was usually home. Um, when we started getting older, she would stay home and she would cook mostly every night. Um, you know, the occasional frozen item, this, that, who, who can't say that. Um, but my parents cooked. My dad would be home on the weekends and we'd make breakfast together. Um, I really started getting into just making omelets and the whole revelation of he would sweat a couple scallions in the pan and then like make an omelet or a scrambled egg with that. And it was like mind blowing. And I was like, wow, it's just that little addition that really takes something simple and puts it over the edge. So that was like the first foray. I was making breakfast a lot. So I would like wake up in the mornings and want to make pancakes and sausage and eggs for everybody. And we had the griddle out. And this is now once I had moved to Westminster. So I'm at least older. Um, and so that worked at Roy Rogers. And then um, there's a restaurant, Buds at Silver Run, um, which is owned by uh, Ken Lurie. Um, it's only, it's just on the other side of Cherrytown. I live, uh, like five minutes from it. I actually rode my skateboard to work a couple times, um, which is not really a great idea when it's really hot and you don't want to start the day all sweaty, but I did because um, it was cool and I, I couldn't drive. Um, so I worked at Bud's for a while. 
Um, and actually, it was Ken who pushed me to go to culinary school. Um, well, pushed me to go to the CIA. Um, when I graduated, um, so yeah, I worked at Bud's from like when I was 16 or so until I was about 18. So most of the latter half of my high school career. And I was skateboarding as much as I could and hanging out with my friends um, and cooking like four or five days a week getting into the grind and getting into the feel of like, okay, I don't really have a social life outside of going to work and all the people I work with and I'm up late and wake up later in the morning, which is, I tend to be a night owl. So I like to stay up late and having all the energy coming out of service or coming out of cooking. Cause at that point it wasn't service in my eyes. It was just, it was just a job. I was like a line cook in a restaurant and I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything. I wasn't researching or looking towards anything. Um, but anyhow, Ken was the one who pushed me when I was graduating to at least apply for the CIA. I had heard about it and was reading about colleges. And it always, at least in my mind, when I was looking at that, was like, man, this like that's like way too expensive. There's no way I'm going to be able to afford to go to the CIA. So go back and do some research with my mom. Um, Turns out it's roughly, or it's comparable to um, BIC, Baltimore International College, which no longer, I think, is accredited as a, uh, a college, maybe more. I don't know the full story, but I know that when I was in culinary school, they got discredited as a... Um, a culinary school, basically. Yeah, as a culinary school. So if I had gone there, I would have been in a way different place and my life would be totally different. So that, that didn't happen. I applied to culinary Institute, got in, um, Ken actually wrote me a recommendation letter. Um, and the first like dinner that I actually planned and put on, um, was at Bud's Silver Run. Um, I did a, I think five or six course tasting menu. Um, I don't remember all of the dishes. I know I did a volavant with cipollini mushrooms and blue cheese a like mushroom packet with puff pastry, um, small salad, just like uninspired, just like mixed greens. Um, and the, the dessert was, um, a sweet potato tiramisu. Um, that was pretty cool. It was like a mascarpone and sweet potato mousse and nutmeg whipped cream. That was like the thing that I was most stoked about was making, cause I liked, I had a sweet tooth when I was a kid. So I tended to just want to eat everything that was sugary and sweet. So making desserts, I definitely have an interest in, in pastry and making desserts. Um, but yeah, that was the first like food and wine experience that I had like of my career. And I was just getting ready to go to culinary school. It was like my send off from leaving my job at Bud's and then moving on to the next chapter of, of culinary school. And yeah, like I said, culinary school was like where... I mean, it was like Mecca going there. There's top rated chefs who are teaching you and standing there next to you in class, watching you burn yourself and burn stuff and grading you and, you know, critiquing you and trying to help you learn and progress. And there was definitely some tougher chefs and some ones who are a little bit more lenient, but I think there's good things can come out of, you know, tough environments or, you know, I guess, pressure type situations. Um, and yeah, that's actually where I met uh, my two uh, recent business partners. Um, I said I had been in Utah. Um, or did I say that? No, you hadn't gotten to Utah yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, in um, culinary school, I met um, my friend Mike Blocker and uh, my friend Nick Foss. Um, we had classes together. We worked together. We would spend our time together on the weekends, um, just hang out and talk about food and kind of God over, uh, Instagram. And as that was kind of like emerging around that time, um, and we separated, we all graduated. I stayed on for, um, to at least attempt my bachelor's degree. Um, it's like the public revealing of the fact that I don't actually have a bachelor's degree, but I went to culinary school to get it. Um, and my whole life was not necessarily ideal for wanting to have 
to go to school and like have somebody tell me what I want to learn. I like to do things with my hands and figure it out and like actually experience stuff instead of sitting in a class and, and reading how to do something and regurgitating back what, you know, what anybody wants to hear. So yeah, that kind of, you know, and college life mixed in with that, just not wanting to go to school and, and do that. So I left. Um, and, uh, we actually, Nick was living with me at the time when I was in Hyde Park, cause I was still in Hyde Park and we moved down to Virginia to live with Mike. Um, and Mike had just helped open a resort in Middleburg, Virginia, Salamander Hotel and Resort or Resort and Spa. Um, and he had been there for a couple months. They opened, I think like December, November of, goodness, 2013. Yeah, 2013. Um, and we were there. We lived in Virginia, all of us together working at the hotel. Um, we lived there for about a year and a half or so. And we had really high hopes for, for going down there. We really wanted to try and create something special. Um, and it just kind of, I don't know, we just kind of got burnt out and restaurants or not restaurants, hotels can be beasts sometimes with five different food outlets performing 24 hours a day and there's no stopping. So something's always happening. Um, it just, it may be the, the end all be all is just hotels are, are not for us. I'm, I know they can be great in certain situations and we, we started formulating a plan to move to Utah and start doing a project that we called Red Kitchen. Um, Red Kitchen, the idea behind that was um, dining redefined, where kind of like the red comes from. It's just a, so we put a business plan together, put a logo, started kind of getting some energy and started feeling good about ideas and food that we wanted to do. And um, our intent was to go to Utah kind of start this business and do pop-up restaurant events, pop-up dinners, um, private dining, um, and provide that for people. Um, so we went there and actually our first event that we did was for uh, Nick. His family lives in Utah or had lived in Utah. Um, and we did Thanksgiving for their family and close relatives and friends. So we had a dinner for 40 people um, prepped entirely too many too many items and too much food um, so it turns out a lot of people had had gone to their families and relatives houses and had a thanksgiving one a thanksgiving two and you know came to just kind of like rub elbows and hang out with everybody so we had we made we made 20 pounds of orichetti by hand dried and we dried it so it was 20 pounds of dried orichetti um so that was really interesting. How much was um, consumed? Uh, less than 20 pounds of <laughs> orichetti. We had a lot of leftovers. So our fridge was stocked for a while and we tried to give away as much food as we could. I think we made, I don't know, two, made like some four pounds of chicken liver terrine or some ridiculous amount, just trying to, you know, never wanting to not have enough because there's nothing worse than having an event where you're serving food and you run out of of whatever it is um so that was our first event and from there we started meeting people um in the community who would either be able to invest in us or had space that we could use um or equipment and just started kind of like just networking and, and getting to know people um a lady who nick actually knew for a long time uh growing up um had an event space and a kitchen that we could use. Um, granted it was like more, um, not, it was not a commercial kitchen, I guess I'll say it was not, it was not a commercial space, but it was private. So we could cook there, store our food there. Um, and then actually hold the event there. We could purchase wine privately. Um, and then use that. I think, I think we had to get a liquor license. The laws, the liquor laws in Utah are a little um, restricting, restrictive. Um, so yeah, we did events there as Red Kitchen. Um, we called those events Table X. Uh, we went to the farmer's market whenever we could every Saturday, trying to procure ingredients and 
make connections with with farmers and local people who we could get products from, um, preserving those things, prepping um, during the week. And meanwhile, we're all three working full-time positions in restaurants. We're, we're line cooks um, at the time. I was working at a restaurant, Pago, um, which is really awesome. And uh, so anyhow, we're working full-time, prepping for these events that we hold you know, maybe one or two a month, um, just drawing in people from the community, inviting a lot of people, uh, um, kind of at all of our, most of our own expense. Um, and through those dinners, um, we met a lot of people. We met a real estate agent who's also friends of Nick's family. So a lot of connections for this project that we ended up all involved in happened to come from Nick because he has family out there, a lot of history. Um, so we met a real estate agent who had her eye on a, uh, an abandoned warehouse. Um, and that warehouse sat on a lot that was kind of, is it the Eastern, like Southeastern side of, of Salt Lake in an area called Mill Creek. Um, and it had a, a lot for a parking space. Um, it had a essentially back area that was all dirt soil um, and we just kind of like looked at it a couple times. Um, I had no intention or idea that what we were doing would become a restaurant. It was just, we were, we were cooking for people. We were meeting people doing, it was a side project that just kind of got out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, 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 it was our intention to, you know, make that like our, our full-time position, whether it's like a pop-up restaurant where you have a commercial space and you put on events and you're popular within the community, like an underground dining club or something like that. Um, so we start looking at this building and we're like, okay, what could we do here? And I think Nick had his own intentions or just, just wanted, you know, kind of like had, had the position to be able to, to get in there with, with capital or whatever he's got. Um, so we we ended up meeting a lot, starting to meet with the the owners of the building, um, inviting them to dinners, um, started kind of touching base with architects and people who might be also interested in the project, like like minded, wanting to you know see something develop in in Salt Lake that you know is you know maybe maybe a higher tier of of food or a higher I don't know just a different more thoughtful food scene so um yeah we started bringing a lot of those people in and this project started to really grow really rapidly and then it was like okay we're gonna start working on a restaurant and it's whatever we want it to be we're all three chefs um we're all three creators and we all work really well together we didn't really have any contention there was no negative attitudes or you know, like there was no pushback. There was no, it was, a, it was a clean thoroughfare. You could, we could just talk and we were friends and we were also colleagues. So we all lived together too. We moved out to Utah in, in a Nissan Xterra with a cat, a drum set and a five by eight trailer towed behind us. Um, and we were able to actually stop in places along the way. So Nick, Nick has, his mother used to live in Mississippi. So we drove first stop was from Virginia to Mississippi stayed there I think two nights um, she made us vegetable stew that had beef in it which is really awesome um, nice surprise and then from there Mike has family in Colorado in Denver so we went to his aunt's house um, where his grandmother lives and I think his dad lives there now um, stayed there for like another two days and then made the final haul longest drive of the trip from Denver was that yeah it was the longest because we went out of Denver so you can get to Utah from Denver two ways or I guess multiple ways but two main ways by car you can go over the mountains or you can go up and around the mountains up through Wyoming and you're not you're not avoiding the elevation you're just avoiding the steepness so the car packed with a trailer in is it November yeah in November, because it was just before Thanksgiving. So we're just trucking along on Route 80, going slowly 
slowly up the hill in Wyoming, giant hill, mountain rather. We have hills on the East Coast. <laughs> um, so that was the last trek. And then we landed in Utah and yeah, we we're in our house and started like immediately trying to reach out to people and, and make all these connections that we could. And again, prep for that uh, Thanksgiving. So from there. Yeah, I was, um, to, so you had, you, you, you sort of touched on something that I, that I'd like to expand on. You said that um, you each had your own inspirations, your own approaches, and they sort of like came together seamlessly. I'm curious, what is your, uh, like touch on your approach to food? Like what, um, you know, what, inspires you um what do you like to cook um you know hmm. touch on that a bit hmm um yeah i guess my approach to food is taking what the earth gives us and and allowing it to shine and you know there's you can do a lot of things to food you can cook it all different ways prep it all different ways season it all different ways um and really kind of what is where i'm getting to in 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 my eyes is using what grows together. What, what can I grow together? You know, if I'm in a certain place, things grow way differently here than they do in Utah, than they do in New York, than they do anywhere else around the world. So what grows well here, what's native? That, that's really cool to me. I really like the idea of using native species and things that come from here, like the pawpaw. Um, I'm sure you've heard of a pawpaw. I don't think I've ever had one in like its full form, but I've had like pawpaw ice cream or different things. So unique interesting stuff that is native edible and delicious so and being able to use those with methods that come from the other side of the globe um you know and taking inspiration from like global cuisine and not restricting your ideas and your methods but i guess more so your your ingredients and and what you have at hand and figuring out how to use things in different ways to achieve the same effect, you know, instead of using a vinegar, you could use a lactic acid ferment liquid that has kind of similar characters that you can fine tune with whatever you have to ferment and utilize. So that kind of idea um, is, is how I think about food and kind of where I'm at with my approach right now. I love that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I think of like so many parallels to uh, you mentioned what you like to work with, what grows together. And I think like, I always say what grows together goes together. And I'm thinking about like food and wine pairings too. And uh, you know, your uh, approach to food really resonates with me because it's much like our approach to wine, which is to highlight the integrity of the grapes that we grow and try to make wines that are authentic and transparent and speak from a particular field uh, that they came from, um, but, but also simultaneously taking inspiration from the old world and the way wines, you know, had been made before industrialization and trying to make mm -hmm. wine fermented with spontaneously with, you know, native yeast and not adding too much makeup, you know, just like in cooking and winemaking, there are uh, so many processes and, um, uh, fine tuning that can happen, uh, in the cellar and trying to start with really good ingredients and just make something that is, that's beautiful, but also kind of rustic. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that that has always resonated with me. And it's so cool to kind of hear you say how in, in, in so many words, that's exactly your approach to food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a way like rustic old world is beautiful. Beautiful is it's in the eye of the beholder, but I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I think there's a certain beauty or, or charm or like almost sexiness to doing things the old way. And it's not perfectly crafted and, you know, made in a mold and, or, or doctored up too much. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like putting, you know, a lot of heavy emphasis on something, but allowing just the rusticism to come out and just say, this is, this is what I made with my hands. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so, so you guys are out there and, um, at, at, at what point did, uh, red kitchen or table X, um, you know, come to fruition. Tell us about the story 
you know, when this, you know, when this project actually came to life and, and what that was like. Okay. Um, so I'll start with when we opened. Um, we opened November 2nd, 2016. Um, and everything before that was a giant whirlwind of construction and building and insanity that I've never experienced before. Um, I'm making it sound a lot worse than it was, but it was just hectic. There's a lot, there was a lot of moving parts. Um, so we're doing dinners, we're, we're doing events, we're cooking for people in Park City, we're going to like ridiculously giant houses that cost entirely too much and cooking for them in their house. And that's cool. So we switch about halfway, like in May of 2016, we quit our jobs. Um, and we start going on like payroll for table X because we're start like with tr tr triggers pulled, you know, investments are in or, you know, money's in and we're, we're starting to move forward on the project. Um, and so it's, it's a blank warehouse. We had to do, there was permanent improvements, tenant improvements, um, all types of things that had to be done. There was, there was no insulation. There was no furring. There was no, electric, gas, plumbing. So everything had to be detailed. So, you know, we're, we're, we're still working, how going to from how long did it take to, to get use in occupancy, if you will? Um, I mean, I think we had occupancy. If we opened in November, see back from that. Not, not even by October, just, I think like halfway through October, we had occupancy. Yeah. Cause we opened November 2nd. And when did you get started? Um, it's tough to say because it was all kind of flowing, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say 2014 when we started, when, when we got to Utah, it was like, we started just just working and, and working on this red kitchen that kind of developed into table X project. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. cool. So we had a, yeah. So you, you got this thing off the ground, uh, November 2nd, 2016. And, and then what happened? How did it go? Um, it was really great. We were, we were well received. Um, I think we definitely, I want to say intimidated, but it wasn't necessarily for everyone. We, Occasionally we'd have people come in, sit down, look at the menu and walk out and leave. And, you know, we poured them water and we greeted them and then they just left. So we were kind of like, okay, we get it. Our, you know, our food maybe isn't for them or they're not used to seeing this on a menu and there's nothing fried. There's no sandwiches. There's no, you know, there's not a burger on the menu. Um, and we just, we just didn't want to do that type of food. And, um, at, at first I would say, um, I think we were, I don't want to say trying, not trying too hard because that's not the right word, but we weren't, we weren't comfortable yet. We were like, okay, this is our plan on paper. This is our menu. This is how we do things. This is our bread. This is our butter. This is, this is what we're doing. And you just, you, you figure out the bumps in the road and, and, where they are and try to like and how to navigate them so figuring out what to put in the garden so the first year we grew so many different types of lettuce and so many so much of each type of lettuce but we ended up finding a hydroponics farm that grew great lettuce and greens and herbs year round and when you grow a lot of lettuce and you use a lot of lettuce you have to clean and store all of that stuff. And so things like that, trying to figure out, okay, what can we use our garden for? Because for everyone listening, there's a, there's a garden on, on the property. Um, and we have a bunch, we had a bunch of raised beds. Um, they're still there. I just, I'm not there anymore. Um, bunch of raised beds trying, growing a tremendous amount of things. Um, so figuring out what, those needed to be or what was our best, you know, bang for our buck in a way um, was one of the things we had to get over um, figuring out our clientele and the customer base and how to create 
the food that we want with the flavors and in the style that we want, but also make it approachable and kind of open to the everyday diner where, you know, maybe somebody hasn't had fresh melon with cured charcuteries and, you know, nuts and chilies on them. And, you know, maybe it's like out of their, out of their zone, but we have other things that are also really approachable. We had one of the opening dishes that stayed on the menu for a long time was a uh, coconut red beet curry and brined cauliflower um, that we did. And it was just like a simple crudite. Um, and over, we had actually took it off the menu and then it came back um, months and months later and had kind of grown and developed with us. Um, our approach when we started was um, very heavily influenced by um, either the Danes or I guess that whole area of Scandinavia, like kind of very simple, like stunning colors and simplicity on a plate, you know, where the, the food speaks and there's not like too much tinkering going on, but it's, you know, maybe something that's taken a lot of time to prepare and put together and it's plated and is just simple and is kind of um, deceiving in a way where it looks, I keep saying the word simple, it looks so simple, but, but so it's got a lot of, it. yeah, yeah ex exactly. So, and I think at least at the time there was a lot of the people who were coming into the coming in from Utah and from the area and who were just like, I don't get it. Like what's, what's, what, why, like, why not have, you know, a bunch of garnish or, you know, this or that, or like, it's just beet puree with cauliflower. Yeah. That's the dish. That's the dish. <laughs> that's the idea. So, you know, learning that like, you know, maybe, okay, maybe people want like a little bit more. And that also, you know, teaches us like there's more can be done without taking away from what the whole dish actually is. Right. Um, so, so yeah, yeah that was trying to find that intersection of your inspiration vision and where, and meeting the consumer where they are, because at yeah, some point it's this like, food has to bring pleasure to people and the spectrum. If you're just looking at the spectrum of things that interest you it's broad, but then the question is, is like, where does what people want hit that? And then like, yeah, that's where we should work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that, that was, that was a, a curve and, you know, kind of welcomed and it allow us, you know, kind of to, I guess, just kind of like, okay, we can, I guess, relax a little bit. We don't have to put it, I don't know, not necessarily put everything on I don't know. We can kind of like play, we can play a little bit more. We can have a little bit more fun at work and with what we do and, you know, make it our own and continue and that, to try and, and that, find. And comes through in the dining experience. And yeah, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for something that is simple and beautiful, but also playful and fun. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it it's more than, a, you know, a dining experience of, of that type is more than it just nourishment. You know, it, it's, it's entertainment. And like, mm -hmm. you're, you, you kind you want that like human story and, and the why behind, you know, this simple dish, it's like, okay, this is a, this is a surprising dish, you know, tell me the story. And if you can follow up that simplicity with a bit of wit, then it just makes it, you know, that much, you know, it adds nuance, you know, to the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you, you, you definitely learned a lot, uh, in the early <laughs> stages of, uh, you know, of, of opening the restaurant ultimately tell us, um, tell us about like how you, like when you found your groove, you mentioned you were kind of f trying to figure out like who are our customers? Like, what are we about? Who is this for? Um, you know, t tell us about like how, like where you ultimately landed in that moment where you're like, okay, we are doing what we're supposed to be doing now. Right. Um, so what really I think was important to us and to our customers and that ones that would come back um, often um, was consistency. Um, and for the restaurant, it's not only food, but it's, it's service, it's beverage, it's, it's the whole experience, it's ambiance. Um, so our, our consistency in, in being able to surprise them with maybe things that they wouldn't order or wouldn't have ordered before, but they felt comfortable 
um, coming into our place and allowing us to, to show them, you know, to, to present to them something that they maybe again never tried or wouldn't order somewhere else, but say, it's okay, you know, let me, I'll hold your hand as, and we're going to have, you know, this together, you know, experience this on us. Um, and one of the things that helped us do that um, was from the day we opened, we had a tasting menu um, as, as an option for diners who wanted to come in and, you know, maybe the more ex experienced or, you know, someone who's more interested in having. Yeah. Just an adventurous type. Yeah. Mm -hmm, just an adventurous eater. Um, we had people who wanted to know the tasting menu ahead of time or people who didn't. Um, so. Getting in the groove was being consistent and being sharp every time. We had, again, from the from the day we opened, we did our own bread and made our own butter um, with with um, creme fraiche. So we made cultured butter, um, and we're making all those products in house. We had our own starter, um, and also being able to provide service that matched up to what we were doing in the kitchen and wanting to share our enthusiasm, our passion, and have our servers be able to share that um, in, in the dining room um, was really important. We have an open kitchen. Um, so being able to just look out in the dining room, you don't have to go to a door. You're not looking through somewhere, not down a hallway. It's, it's right there. You're, we're in the dining room. Um, so we can look out and you can see people who come in a lot you obviously start to recognize their faces and the consistent flood of people who were, who were not um, return guests or, you know, brand new diners um, and people bringing new diners was always big for us too. Cause we started to build just, just relationships, people who lived down the road, we were in on a residential street with houses to our left and just another business to our right. So there was a couple, you know, a couple people who had couples who had come in, young couples, and sit at the counter, and are able to interact with us and and talk to us, and you know, then they go out, end up coming back with more friends of theirs, and so being able to share that like chef experience with them, so you want to go out and say hi, thank them for coming in again, and it's it's that I don't know, being able to touch the table as a chef is is really fun and it's fun for the guests as well yeah for sure and and i've got to imagine that having a tasting menu as an option um kind of keeps you sharp um it gives you an opportunity to you know exercise your creative muscles mm -hmm. and um you know continually stay seasonally relevant understand what's coming in from the garden figure out creative ways to use it because you need to um so it's it's, it's almost an outlet for your garden and, um, I, you know, something that's just coming to my mind, it probably, I would imagine, gives you an opportunity to test lots of things in front of your guests, see what works on that tasting menu, and, and almost elect, uh, you know, the winners on the tasting menu to become, mm -hmm. you know, staples. Yeah, that was, a, that was a great place for us to, yeah, kind of throw things at diners that they wouldn't definitely not order, um, but put it on the tasting menu and, you know, allow them to have it there was um goodness gracious um we didn't run specials um we didn't have any specials at the restaurant so if there was any dishes that we were working on or things that we wanted to try they would go on the tasting menu and then if they worked out they would eventually either make it to the menu or they'd just be like a one-time thing we have a run of uh, Cornish game hens that we got from some guy who raises poultry and wants to sell us ducks and game hens and all types of other things. So we brined them, smoked them, and it was a half, it was like a half or a quarter, a half for two people on the tasting menu um, of this smoked Cornish hen. So it was a great way to utilize those kind of like happenstance. Yeah, the odds and ends. Yeah. When our mushroom guy comes in and he's got way too many mushroom stems or just trim that we can use and dehydrate and use to make stock or a soup and make a cream of mushroom soup that goes on the menu like any time of year because he's he's cultivating them in a warehouse 
um, is pretty awesome. So that's that's where we we found our groove, um, and it was just it was fun. I worked I worked the hotline on Roast Station for almost two years um, of the time that I was there, and yeah, figuring out the odds and ends and and how to set your station and realizing where you can have efficiencies or where you see inefficiencies and be able to change those. Um, and it's all, it's all adaptation. I used to tell a lot of the cooks, um, you know, you can have a plan, you have a prep list, you have a recipe, you have ingredients, but inevitably something is not going to work out. So what do you do? You adapt. When you want to have this specific container for this certain thing and you it's it's not available it's full of something else and it's not coming out of there so you adapt you figure out how to do it you can't cook in this pan okay well how can you how can you still get it cooked and achieve what you're going for you adapt so yeah i guess it's it's part of the learning everyday experience as well you know if you're not looking at how you can better yourself or you know what you can do to help your employees uh, you're just you're stagnant and you're you're trending backwards you're falling back yeah. So ultimately, um, you found your groove, the, the restaurant found its groove, um, and uh, your, um, your hard work was rewarded with a nomination for a James Beard Award, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of came as a surprise. I don't... Yeah, tell us about what that process was like and, and how, you, uh, how you discovered it. And yeah, tell us about that. Um, so we've had during while the restaurant while I was at the restaurant the restaurant um, has been written up multiple times um, in local magazines local uh, publications um, and we actually won a um, I can't remember the exact title of the award but it was a uh, I think it was best restaurant um, 2019 best restaurant in hideaway report um, and that kind of came out of left field. I've never heard of hideaway report. I don't know if you have either. Um, but, uh, so we were not, and with other restaurants from around the world that are also really high cal caliber and kind of surprising to see yourself listed next to them and check out their websites and the stuff they're doing. And you're like, I'm on the same list with them. Yeah. Okay. I'm, we're, 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 we're up there. We're, we're, we're on it. So that was a big surprise. I mean, um, and we found out about the James Beard award kind of in a, a similar way. We got, we got an email, um, that said you're nominated for a James Beard award, go online to, you know, look, look at the website that says you're on here. And they didn't tell us they were coming in, you know, it's not like they're putting out their, you know, James Beard cards and, you know, we're here to, you know, check you out and we've heard things and you're on our radar. Um, so it was, it was a really big surprise and um, we were all taken aback and it, it, it got weird because of COVID and it was supposed to be released. Oh gosh, way before now, because it still, it still isn't even out the, the proceedings. Um, so it's it's been on hold for a long time and it's kind of in the back of my mind. Right. Um, you're just you're just like, okay, so what's yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, like putting it on on my resume and you know, like use using it like it's 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 actually a thing. Like people in our industry, do you you say that about yourself? You say like I was either nominated or I was awarded James Beard, like I'm a James Beard nominated chef. It like it just it it sounds I don't want to say odd, but it it just it just is what it is, and it's it, I don't know. It just makes me smile, and it's 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 really cool to have been awarded that honor and be recognized on a playing field that is so vast and massive. Yes, congratulations, dude. Um, it's, Thank it's, you. It's a really incredible honor, and uh, I have uh, you know only met and interacted with a handful of, of James Beard uh, award chefs and every last one of them are uh, wildly inspirational. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, and, 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 and I think you bring a lot to the table and uh, I, I, yeah. I got a, a lot to be proud of. So it's, it, it's awesome. Congratulations. Cool. Thank you very much. So, yeah. Um, now uh, you're back in Maryland. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, 
So it was just at the restaurant, um, life going on, living in a small apartment um, with my girlfriend at the time. Um, and she was from Utah and we were really worked really well together um, and kind of decided like, okay, maybe she doesn't want to live in Utah. And I want to say I was getting burnt out, but I was just like starting to kind of, I, I had a conversation with my dad um, and I was just sitting in the parking lot um, before work and he, you know, kind of threw out the, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I didn't really know. I, it's not like you just lay it out while you're in the car before you're getting ready to go to work. Um, but it just started to make me think like, maybe I want, you know, to start working on settling down or like finding a place where if I'm going to have children where I'm going to raise children and where I want to be for like that period. Um, so I just started having just, just thoughts and just, just my, that, that had been activated in my brain. And, and I'm like thinking about it, like, okay, yeah, I'm like 26 or about 27 when I had that conversation and it was just, yeah, I was about 27. Um, and he's like the, the youngness, I guess, starts fading off and you're like, okay, wow, I'm actually like looking down at, at my life and I'm in control of it. I'm not in school anymore. I'm not like following anyone anymore necessarily. Um, so I just started like really thinking about me and myself and what I want. Um, and also having a girlfriend at the time. So who's, you know, thoughts and feelings and you, you consider those things as well. So we started thinking like, okay, we're going to move to Tennessee. Um, that was, that was our goal. Um, and we had planned that basically at the beginning of the year, um, is where, I, when I told Mike and Nick that, you know, I feel like I'm moving in a different direction and, you know, I'm going to be leaving table X. Um, and so that was at the beginning of the year, it was like January 3rd. Um, and I didn't know the world was going to shut down in March. Yeah. Halfway through March. So we're going along, started slowly packing, um, just kind of taking our time. And we were going to leave in, at the end of April, uh, there was a concert that was in Salt Lake on my birthday um, that I wanted to go to. Uh, it was Animals as Leaders. If anyone out there listens to Animals as Leaders. Yeah, but I will write that awesome. check it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're a uh, progressive metal band. Um, anyhow, um, so we were, we were going to stay in, in town and leave at the end of April. That didn't go as planned. Um, you can't move. We, we, it, was, it was so just a really not great situation where, okay, I put my notice in at a restaurant and we're looking for places to live in Nashville. We were like looking to go to Nashville, Tennessee. We're looking for places to live, places to rent, um, and we're looking for jobs. Um, and to roll back a little bit, before I put in my notice at the restaurant in September, I was hit by a car on my skateboard and broke my right wrist. Um, and I'm right hand dominant. It's the hand I do everything with. It's it's my bread and butter. It's it's my tool. It's the yeah. tool of my craft. Um, so that was really not cool. Um, really scary. Um, I broke my left wrist when I was in tenth grade, and I've like fractured some ribs. So I don't really injure myself um, tremendously bad on my skateboard. It's a great outlet for me. Um, so yeah, that was not cool, and it was. So I was in the car with my girlfriend riding to the hospital. And I'm just like in these emotions of like, I'm feeling like I want to leave and like, or at least like do something else in my life and start to settle down. And it's almost like breaking my wrist was a sign from the universe that there's 
something going to change. There's a, there's a change coming up in your life. And this is, this is the first domino in a series, in a series of events. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of like quelled my, I guess, anxiety or like, Oh my God, I broke my right wrist feeling. Um, it quelled that. And so I was still working at the restaurant, not cooking anymore, not making bread, not expediting. Um, and I was working in front of the house. So I started to take over the front of the house and develop that program um, a little further um, from where it was and just being on the floor. We never had a, a front of the house manager. We were all three chefs um, and we're in the kitchen. Um, and Nick worked as mostly a, like a liaison between the front and the back um, and keeping that crew organized. Um, so I started taking it on just like a front of the house manager would or like a floor manager would. Um, coming to work in, you know, business casual clothes, nice slacks, a shirt, tie, you know, sweater, all the, all the thing, you name it. Um, and it was fun to see what I had created from, or what I had been part of creating from the other side and switch completely into the front of the house. And, you know, again, the regulars who would come in all the time and say, why, what, why are you in a cast? What are you doing? Um, you know, what happened. Um, and yeah, so they got all the same spiel about getting hit by a car and this, that. Um, and once I was healed, um, I just stayed in the front during that time when I was, I was out for a week and not in the front of the house. Um, I carried a lot of weight in the kitchen and was doing a lot. So we needed to hire a sous chef. Um, so we hired it or we didn't hire a sous chef at that time, but it was the man who eventually became our sous chef. Um, so he was hired as a line cook and we were just like needing to staff up the kitchen more to, to make up for the deficit that was me. Um, and yeah, working in the front of the house and then going to move to Tennessee and like leave, it was really not great to try and I don't know. It was just a really odd transition. There was a lot of moving parts. Um, so my goal when I was going to move to Tennessee was to like move in front of the house. There's less work and more money in, you know, from the eyes of anybody in the back of the house, there's. So my goal when I was going to move to Tennessee was to go into a bar or go into a serving position and start exploring that avenue of, of the culinary world. And treading headlines of the news, possible government shutdown or like lockdown, you know, United States lockdown um, was really difficult. So we ended up, my girlfriend and I deciding to move in with my parents. Um, and that's currently where I am right now. Yeah. So um, just go back to Maryland and, and hit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was, it was a way to be, you know, in kind of a very, interesting time be at home with family be safe my sister and brother were here um or are here um so it was like kind of go back to ground zero and 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 huddle up and since then um i've been working uh landscaping um planting trees and plants and shrubs and flowers um i'm not mowing grass um we do like hardscapes so like brick paver patios and block walls and running wheelbarrows of dirt and all all the hard stuff that gives you blisters and makes you really hot and sweaty so education right it's rewarding you work hard and you can yes. immediately look behind you and see uh, a you know a more beautiful setting that you created mm -hmm. yeah and it's i uh, i actually um when i was in high school so if you've ever heard of Skills USA or like a career and tech center where there's different programs you can have like as vocations um, in high school, I, um, I didn't go to culinary because I was already working at Bud. So I was already getting that aspect. Um, so I did masonry. Um, I laid brick and block in high school for three semesters of my junior and senior year. Um, and the last year of my high school was 
um, a TA position. So I was just just around keeping an eye basically on on the next class that had come in after me, um, which is a great way to not go to school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but but also that same thing, like work hard, work with my hands, be able to create something and turn around and see it. And there is that instant gratification. And I think we're actually tomorrow um, going to finish a, a, a patio that we're working on. It'll be my last day at uh, Silver Run Nursery. So. Well, congratulations on that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really rewarding that you get to like end on, on with a sense of completion, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, um, on Monday, uh, you joined the old West <laughs> winery team. Um, yeah. we're just like really stoked to have you join us. Um, so, so I'm kind of curious, like what, uh, you know, what do you hope to bring to, the food program at Old Westminster? Like what, 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 what inspires you? What are you really excited about? Like, why do you, why did you want to join the team? You know, t- tell us a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, or what, what I, what I want to bring and, and what I want to be able to, to share is, is good food and, and good experiences. I think that's kind of at the heart of, of every chef who wants, who's, who's, worth his salt for any chef who's worth his salt wants to share good food and good experiences. And those experiences can be through diner relations or even just other human interpersonal relations that you have. You meet all types of people from all over the place in any restaurant or like food establishment that you work in. And you can learn a lot just from getting to know somebody and working with them or working for them or they work for you. And you just have this good relationship and it's, you know, I don't want to say vibes, but it's, it's good. It's good vibes. It's good, good energy. And what was really, what really drew me to old Westminster winery was, so when we moved out here, my parents had, you know, my mom and my dad are on the, the old, the old Westminster uh, mailing list or on the, uh, the wine club. Um, and so I saw some of the bottles and I was like, Oh, cool. You know, like I didn't really think anything of it. Um, I don't think we had anything open. Um, and then your tasting menu or your tasting room opened back up. Oh, what day was it? We went on the first day, but I don't remember when it was. Um, when it opened from, from quarantine into being able to run your business. Um, so my girlfriend and I went and I was like blown away by the location by the wines and by just the atmosphere and, and the energy that was there. Um, so it's just like, cool, great, great wines, really interesting, really interesting area. And that was that. And started to go back more frequently. Um, I think the first bottle we had was the, uh, blinded by the light. That's definitely a good one. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's polarizing though. I love it, but yeah, I, I, if, I, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's like lemonade, right? Yep. It's like lemonade. yellow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we drank that entirely too quickly. Um, and then I think ordered two more bottles and some things to take home. Um, and then I would just, she would offer like, do you want to go to Westminster winery? And it was, it was a, it was a no question. It was, yeah, let's go. Um, so we're there one night and I was asking a bunch of questions because somebody, one of the servers told me that you're doing like a Solera um, port and the white port. Um, so I ordered a glass of each um, to taste. And I was, I was asking, I was just throwing a bunch of questions at her and didn't really expect her to know. And I was like, if you don't know, that's okay. Go find somebody who does, or can you like, she, and she offered, she's like, I'll go find somebody who does. And I was like, great. And we can, we can learn together. We can both figure out, you know, what's your aging process for this Solera? Um, so AJ came out and was telling us about it and just happened to drop in the conversation that they were, that you all, they were looking for a, a chef um, and like interviewing for chefs in that position. And like the light went off in my head, but I didn't say anything. Um, Cause it's, that's, we've, I've had people do that 
sitting at the counter and they're at the end of their meal, you know, maybe a little tipsy. They've had some wine or cocktails and, you know, they're like, oh, I'm a cook. Like, are you hiring? And I'm like, this is not the time. If you want, if you want to make the right impression, you have to wait. Um, so I did. Um, we left and I was like talking about it on the way home, like how cool that would be. I had no idea what the operation was, what, what the plan was for what you're doing there um, with Eat Pizza Together. Um, and, but I just wanted to be a part of the environment and the place and everything that was going on. So as you know, I did the classic show up with a resume and cover letter and, you know, asked to speak to a manager. So now I'm here. That's cool, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and your, your timing was impeccable. I think you uh, definitely uh, played your cards well. And, uh, it, you know, for us on the other end, it was really serendipitous. I was actually, it was Friday night at about 4.30, right at the beginning of, of tasting room hours. And I was out underneath of the pavilion, which is the ultimately will be the outdoor kitchen and was like taking mental inventory on things that I needed to get done. And like, all right, where are we? Where, you know, where are we in this process? Mm -hmm. Like was, was really running through, you know, the operations uh, in my mind uh, when you and Ashley came walking around the back. And at a, <laughs> for a moment, I was like actually thinking about walking the other way just because I had no idea who you were. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> my mind is here and I don't want to get sucked into like whatever. Right. Over there, mm -hmm. like, Somebody trying to sell you something or whatever. Or something's wrong and I don't want to fix yeah. it. So, yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then it was just so cool that that you were like, yeah, I'm 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 a chef, and I stopped by to give a cover cover letter and resume, and uh, I, I you know I think this place is awesome, and I love the wine, and I love to cook, and I think I can do a really great job here. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, so I, I definitely think that um, you know it it, it certainly feels uh, right now like it's uh, you know meant to be. So we are uh, we're stoked to have you join the team on Monday. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm. Most certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, cool. So, um, not to uh, not to put you on the spot, but um, I, uh, my, my my sisters and I, and uh, everyone at, at Old Westminster knows this. We kind of have this like long standing ritual where um, we ask people uh, to describe themselves as either a grape variety or a wine. Uh, and if they are, uh, unwilling to do so, we prescribe them <laughs> with okay. the great variety or wine that they are. And for example, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my sisters have said that I'm like Nebbiolo, which is uh, a red grape from the Piedmont in, in Northern Italy. Mm -hmm. And at its best, um, it's, uh, it's light colored, but, um, it's highly tannic and aromatic and age worthy as at its best, mm -hmm. but is also known for being, uh, a bit rough around the edges and abrasive and a little tough to approach sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so, so that jokingly is, uh, is, is the great variety that I'm prescribing. At least I think it's a joke. I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but I'm, but I'm wondering, um, you know, if there is, uh, you know, if there's a food or a dish or a, a beverage that, that, hmm. that you, uh, either seriously or jokingly, uh, would, uh, would, would prescribe to yourself. Um, so yeah, uh, disclosure, he sent me a list of questions before this. Um, so <laughs> I've been thinking about this one, um, and it's, it's kind of hard to pin down, um, for a food, um, but while you were asking and describing your grape, I was thinking um, we we had this wine at the at the restaurant that was um, oh goodness I'm trying to remember my spiel um, I think it was from North Spain anyway it's it's a um, Bobal is the grape um, and it was this wine it was Sexto Elemento um, which is the sixth element and the grape is full-bodied and intense, very natural, um, but it has great acid and great, you know, kind of lighter lines running through it to help keep it from being so, you know, full and, and too much. Um, good tannins, and it's like 
almost black. Like it's it's like blackberry juice dark, like really and thick. It was unfiltered, unfined, totally naturally made, hand harvested. Um, really, really awesome. And I love a. I loved selling it, and I think I liked drinking it more. Um, and good combination, right? Yeah. And, and um, it's easy to sell something that you like to drink. So I think yeah. we're almost always connected. Right. So I say if I was a grape, I would be the um, Bobal for when when I set my eyes or when I set something in my targets um, that I want to do, I throw everything that I have at it and put put all my, my energy and weight into something. And it's it's almost like I would relate it to like skateboarding. Um, when there's, there's a trick or there's something that I want to do that I want to land, it's, that's my goal until it's, until it's complete. Um, you know, when those four wheels hit the ground, but it's, it's, it's power and precision with purpose. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Thank like you. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, David, it's, uh, it's certainly been uh, a, a pleasure. Thank you for uh, joining me on the show tonight. And uh, yeah. for everyone listening, um, I, I would typically ask, how can folks connect with you? But I think the answer is uh, to come out to the tasting room in September and uh, eat some amazing food and, and drink some great wine and, and hang out. And uh, yeah, I'll and be there. Well, I'll be there. That's right. Mm hmm. Cool. Well, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, this yeah, is, of course. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun to uh, to get to know you, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, for everyone who's listening uh, to get to know you as well. And uh, we're we're looking forward to uh, creating some great experiences together. So yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Um, for those of you listening, uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please do consider leaving a comment or subscribing on iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to podcasts. And uh, as you know, we'll be releasing new episodes every single week. So uh, thanks so much. Love y'all. Have a good one.